welcome to the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Smith, sharing with you how to successfully start working remotely while traveling the world. If you're ready to break free of the nine to five grind and achieve more freedom and fulfillment in life, be sure to apply to one of our upcoming Wi-Fi Nomads programs in Bali, Indonesia. It's an immersive professional development training program showing you step-by-step how to start earning an income remotely so you can work from anywhere in the world. Spots are limited, so be sure to apply soon. You don't want to miss out. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Smith. Today's guest left the 9 to 5 grind in America, joined the very first Wi-Fi Nomads program, and has been working remotely since. Uh, she spends most of her time in Bali, Indonesia, although she manages to globetrot and recently got back from a stint in Thailand. She's a marketing and copywriting extraordinaire and a Wi-Fi Nomads OG. I'm excited to introduce you to Sarah. Sarah, how do we pronounce your last name? Should have asked me that before. <laughs> it's Abel Hassan. Abel Hassan. Sarah Abel yeah. Okay, awesome. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Why don't you, sh- you're in Bali right now, right? Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, I'm so excited to have you on today. You joined, as I said, the very first Wi-Fi Nomads program. Um, you've been working remotely since, and I'm so excited to dive into your story. You've been doing a lot of freelancing. Um, freelancing is a really popular way to get started with earning an income online. So I'm excited to share your knowledge with everybody, what you've learned along the way, what's been working, what hasn't been working, where you're at on your journey. Um, you know, you've been, I guess it's been how long now since, since our first Wi-Fi, a couple of years now, I suppose. Yeah, it's been like a year and a few months since Wi-Fi. And it's almost been exactly a year since I like booked my one-way ticket. So like end of April this year is like one year since I actually boarded that flight and left America. Amazing. So exciting. So why don't we start with that? We'll start with life in America. You were in the nine to five grind before, obviously made a shift, but can you share with everybody, you know, where you were at that point in time when you were in the nine to five grind And, you know, I think a lot of people feel this, you know, there's something that's just not sitting right with them and there's this drive to make a change. Um, Can you share with everyone like your journey and where you were at and what drove you to make that change? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey is not unlike, I feel like a lot of digital nomads. Um, So I was working a nine to five I did like the very traditional, like I went to college, um, I like wanted to get a better job. So I ended up going to grad school and getting my master's thinking that like, that would get me a better job, which would fulfill me and like I would make more money and all that good stuff. Um, and I worked in, I worked in marketing for about five or six years um, in an office job. I was literally sitting at my desk for like eight plus hours a day, if not more every single day with, you know, like two weeks of vacation every year. And um, it was pretty standard stuff. But yeah, I mean, like most nomads, I just always, I always saw more for myself. And especially being a marketer and a writer, it was really frustrating for me because pretty much all of my time was spent at my computer. And the jobs that I worked in before were so unflexible in like letting me work from home and having that kind of autonomy. And it just never made any sense to me. It just felt so backwards that I had to be in a physical place doing something that I could do anywhere. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of tried the nomad thing for a while, actually way before I did Y-Fly, I had quit my job, like my first job out of college and um, did a road trip across America. And I was like, I'm going to try freelancing and like travel writing and all this stuff. And it was really, really hard. And I ended up doing that for about six months and then just ended up getting another job uh, because it was just really difficult to maintain. I didn't really have the skills to like find my own work. And because all I really knew was applying to jobs and working in like a corporate environment. So I got another job at that point and I worked at that job for about like, I think like two or three years before I finally just one day put in my two week notice. I mean, there's a lot of organizational shifts happening and like, it kind of felt like the stars were aligning in a sense that like my role was being like shrunken down into something I didn't even want to do anymore. And I left that job and kind of like told myself like this is I have to I have to take this leap now or I'm never going to and it was about a month after that that um, I think like I met you and we had our first little chat online I think I actually I probably maybe saw one of your Facebook ads it's so funny because I really don't remember how I found Wi-Fi I just know that I remember interviewing with you and, and I was like yep that's it I'm doing it and put down the deposit and I was like, it's happening. I don't have a job. Like, what do I have to lose at this point? So, um, and then, yeah. And then going to Bali for those two weeks were just extremely eye opening. And it was kind of like that aha moment of like, yeah, like so many people are doing this. There's no reason that I also can't do this. So pretty much took everything that I learned that you had taught us in Wi-Fi and that I learned from just talking to other people and like meeting other people living this lifestyle and went back to America and just like hustled my ass off for like four or five months after that, sending out cold pitches, sending out job applications, just pretty much doing anything I could to get me in a place where I had some sort of sustainable income so that I could finally just move away from America again. Um, and yeah, I actually ended up moving to Bali, uh, me and Akina, so another Wi-Fi alumni. Um, we kind of just decided like, we can't keep waiting around for something to happen. We have to just like make it happen for ourselves. So um, like with her support, we did it together. We're like, let's just buy our tickets. And that's gonna be like the extra push that we need to like really make something happen. And I bought my ticket to Bali and moved here pretty much with no safety net and like very little money in my bank account to be honest and it was like the most the scariest thing ever um but as soon as i got here it's kind of like everything just started naturally falling in place and as soon as i had like taken that leap to really like commit myself to something it everything just started taking form and i like fell into a really good flow of outreach of trying to find clients and landed some really good clients that like were able to really like helped me sustain myself during that first stint I had in Bali. Amazing. And so, you know, that transition before you joined Wi-Fly and even made the move to Bali and, you know, you had left your job, what was like the mindset shifts you were going through? Because that's, you know, a lot of people listening are in the same position. They're in this nine to five, they're feeling frustrated. It can be very, very scary. So what, what, 
you know, what was going through your head and how did you manage that to kind of get over those fears? Yeah. So for me, I was, I was just in like a really dark place, honestly, like working my job made me so depressed. I was just like, I can't, I can't live my life like this anymore. And it was kind of just like being in that place of just like hating every single day, waking up and going to work that like, I think if I hadn't experienced like the pain of just like hating my life at the time so much, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the courage to make a change, but it's like, at some point it's like, I I knew that I had to do something different. Like I was kind of just miserable where I was and I was like, I can't keep doing this any longer. And it was like that, I, I don't know if pain is the right word, but it was that pain that like really drove me to say like, I have to do something drastically different. Like just getting another type of job isn't going to be enough. Like just moving to another state in America isn't going to be enough. Like I need to do something completely different to kind of really just prove to myself that I can and like to, yeah, to try new things. Cause I, at that point I didn't really know exactly what I wanted. I just knew that I hated where I was. And so I knew that I need to just do something completely different to like, sounds really cliche, but like, like discover myself as like a person aside from like everything that I had grown to believe was like my path in the world. And for those listening, what's your advice to those that now that you've like, you've gone through this journey, looking back, what's your advice to somebody that's in that position now where they're in that nine to five, they want to make this shift and transition that you did. Is there anything that you learned that you would, you know, like, do differently or something that worked that didn't um, or, you know, like now that you've already gone through that journey and made that shift from nine to five to working online and that I'm talking about those like immediate first steps where you're kind of like overcoming those fears. What would your advice be to somebody listening that's in that position now that you've gone through it? um, Is there anything like you would do differently or is it just like, just go for it or where are you at on that? Yeah, honestly, um, like you have to, you have to just have faith in yourself and go for it. Something that I had constantly been waiting for is like someone else to kind of give me that push or like give me permission to do the things that I wanted to do. And it's like, no one is ever going to give you permission. Like my boss was never going to say, Hey, you should quit and like move to Bali because that seems like what you really want to do. Like no one's going to tell you that. And no one's really going to hold your hand through that process. You have to just you have to just do it. And it's like, it was really scary for me and way outside of my comfort zone. Um, but like, yeah, you have to, you have to just do it honestly. Um, and like, if you keep waiting for the right time, you're never going to do it. Cause there's never going to be a right time. Things will continue to come up and like life continues to happen regardless. And you have to just like make a decision and make it really fast. So like when I got, the offer to like join Wi-Fi, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know. And then I was like, I forgot what I was reading, but it might've been like Tony Robbins or something. Um, But it's like successful people make decisions very quickly. So if you aren't going to do it, then decide that and like pick another path. And if you are going to do it, then decide and commit to it and like put everything you have behind it. But don't like teeter between the lines because that's just like going to keep fueling like your current situation. Amazing. I love that. 
And I also remember when you joined Wi-Fi, similar to other one, other people as well, your intent was to land a remote job and that kind of shifted once you were on Wi-Fi. Can you, and, and I think that might come from that mentality of, you know, when someone's coming from the nine to five, their first instinct is, oh, I have the nine to five, I've applied, you know, the way it works is you apply to jobs, get a job. And so a lot of people bring that mentality to the remote working world and they think, okay, I apply to remote jobs now. Um, but then you ended up shifting into freelancing and all of that. Um, maybe you can share with those listening kind of, you know, what made you that, that shift between like, oh, I, you know, I think I need to get a nine to five remote job. And then like, what made you take that shift into freelancing instead? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you're right. My, my first goal was to land a remote job and I mean, that like, that's still, I still like seek out those opportunities and I still always keep my eye out. And like, even right now I'm still like in a position where I think having a remote job would be an amazing opportunity. And like, there's so many companies out there that just like have amazing cultures. And I'm, I'm so into like remote work culture and I love seeing companies like build really strong remote teams. Um, and I actually like write a lot of content for remote companies just about culture and stuff. So I'm very, like, I would still love to work a remote job. Um, but I just didn't realize how competitive it was. It was just like insanely competitive and sending out job applications kind of felt like just like throwing my resume like at the ether and like no, no one would ever read it or anything like that. Um, and with freelancing, I kind of, so the way I got most of my clients is just from sending out cold, cold email pitches. Um, so I got really good at just like identifying needs of companies that I would research and then sending like email pitches directly to their CEOs, directly to their marketing people, um, like offering help and things like that. And so that's how I landed most of my clients. Um, with remote jobs, yeah, I found that like from everyone that I talked to, you have to, you have to network with people a lot more and you have to really make those relationships because um, yeah, it's, I mean, everyone is qualified. I mean, not everyone, but like there's so many qualified people out there for the same jobs that you're applying to. And it's like, you have to really have an edge to stand out. And I wasn't really great at networking at the time. I mean, I'm still not that great at networking, but it was just like, I, I kind of found my sweet spot in the freelancing from like being able to offer very specific services to clients. And so when I found that to be working, I just kind of kept going with that. And it wasn't because I like decided I didn't want to get a remote job. I just kind of like found that that's where my strengths were at the time. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much where, yeah. Awesome. Um, that's, it's interesting how you, you do talk about networking and, you know, like that cold, um, that outreach approach and whatnot. And even with Wi-Fi, like things have shifted since you were on the very first one. And so it's kind of evolved a bit and focusing on networking, like you said, like networking. And I've talked to a lot of people I've interviewed for the podcast so far. Everyone's brought that up, like networking. It's so important. And I think a lot of people cringe because they think that means going and trying to sell yourself at places when really it's more relationship building um, and building those relationships. Um, I would love to get into the nitty gritty of freelancing because you've been doing it for some time. 
you've learned a lot over the last, you know, over the last year. And I'd really like to dive into some like practical aspects for those listening. Um, what I love about freelancing is that you can like build it up on the side. You can, you know, you get bring on one client so you don't have to just like all in quit your job. You can kind of build it up. Um, why don't we go through like that process that in terms of like how you find the right clients and all of that. Um, but before we dive into that, what have been, what has been your biggest lessons in terms of like what to do and what not to do in terms of freelancing? Yeah. Okay. So in terms of freelancing, uh, I think one of my biggest hesitations at first was like niching down. And when I started trying to freelance, everyone kept saying like, you have to niche down if you're going to find clients. And I was, I like really was like, I just really cringed at the idea of like niching down and putting myself in a box. Um, But I also kind of came to realize that niching down can mean a lot of different things. So like my background is in marketing. And so when I was approaching these clients or potential clients, I was just offering like general marketing services to companies who didn't really have marketing presences at all and didn't really know what marketing was. And I just pretty much overwhelmed them with like offering them these like comprehensive marketing packages and, um, it never, it never really worked out because I wasn't super clear on my offer and they didn't really like understand, I guess, what my services were. So when I niched down, it wasn't necessarily into a specific industry, although eventually I did find, I did end up like now I pretty much only work in like business marketing and, um, like remote work space. I can talk a little bit more about that later, but um, like I niche down in terms of what I was offering my clients. So instead of just offering general marketing, I started focusing on content marketing and just blogs in particular. So I would like, I had a very specific offer and it was to like, I will help you build out your blog for SEO purposes for like to get traffic to establish you as a thought leader. I had like all of my talking points on how blogging was going to help your business grow. And so that was, I niched down like into that specific area. And that's, that's really when I kind of like found my flow in finding new clients because I was saying the same thing over and over again. So I was like, I, I was, I had a really good pitch and I was really confident in like what I was selling too. So rather than just saying like, I'll market your business, I had a very hyper-focused thing. Like I will write this number of blog posts and in the past companies who blog this many times have this much growth. And so it was very easy for companies to see like how what I was going to do is going to help them grow. And I think that was the biggest, that was the biggest lesson I took away is like niching down does not have to mean putting yourself in a box, but you need to have something very clear and concise that you're selling to clients, especially as a freelancer, because they get so many of these pitches probably. And like, that's another thing I learned is, is you have to, you have to get really good at selling your services and at like speaking their language because companies get so many like bullshit emails and pitches from freelancers just trying to like sell them the dream of making them make more money and it's not anything tangible. 
Amazing. I think you touched on so many great points there. That is very helpful. Um, yeah, just being very specific, speaking their language, you know, servicing, like meeting their needs. Like how can you add value to them versus, Hey, I'm a marketer, hire me. Right. Which a lot of people, that's their instinct. They become in this like, almost like desperate mode. I do marketing and, and they try to offer everything because they think if they offer everything, they have a chance to like hit more people when really, Yeah, when really niching down, like you said, and you're directly speaking their language. And then even so, when you're in that niche, again, you get in that flow of, like you were saying, you know, you're, you're kind of saying that same thing in a different way. Obviously, it's tailored to each, each client. Um, how yeah, do- and actually, something you just said just sparked another, another thing that I learned is, so you said, like, you can't just email them and say, hire me. And so, like, yeah, so... Another big takeaway that I had was I was so used to applying for jobs and writing cover letters and sending out my resume that I, I didn't realize how different it was to pitch yourself as a freelancer and actually sell your services to companies who don't really care about you as a person and all they care about is how you're going to help their company grow. So, and like that has a lot to do with the language that you use when you're sending out pitches and just like how you present yourself. And it's, it, it honestly takes like a bit of a mindset shift to like be able to really sell yourself. And so I kind of had to learn sales essentially. I thought that knowing marketing was going to be enough, but I had to learn how to actually sell my services to people in a way that resonates with them in a way that's like, it's not about me anymore. They don't care about where I went to school and where I worked and what I did. They care about what I can do now to help them. So that that was a really big shift too. So it was like, before I kind of had that mentality of like, you should hire me for these reasons, but it was, it ended up like, I don't ever say that anymore. And it's like, it's a really interesting power dynamic to witness where it's like you as a freelancer kind of have to take control of the situation a lot of the time and like, I know a lot of freelancers like show up to interviews or show up to calls with potential clients thinking it's going to be like an interview and thinking the client's going to have questions for them prepared, but really it's like the complete opposite. So like you have to show up with questions prepared, asking them about their business so that you can learn like how you can help better them, help them better. Like it's not an interview. They're not hiring you to work for them. They're hiring you to help them solve a problem. And that, that kind of makes me think actually, um, you know, I think a lot of people get into freelancing and they think, oh, I'll be a copywriter. I'm just going to be copywriting the whole time, but it's, it's essentially a business freelancing. Maybe you can speak to how much time you spend, you know, prospecting, how much time you're spending, like getting clients, how much time you're spending actually doing the work, how much time you're spending managing the business, just like that whole process. Yeah, totally. Um, and so that's, that's actually one of the biggest mistakes I made early on is like when I landed my first few clients, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't have to pitch anymore. I don't have to like keep applying for jobs or whatever. Like I got it. And then, I mean, that worked out for a while. And then eventually like clients move on projects end. And as a freelancer, it's very unstable because you're only there usually to serve a specific purpose. And a lot of companies, usually end up wanting to hire someone in house or things happen that are outside of your control. So like, ideally I like, you need to split your time. Um, I don't know if I would say 50, 50, but you definitely need to constantly have things in the pipeline. So like, even if you have a lot of work, 
like making those relationships, like reaching out to people or even like doing things to build your own presence, like having a blog or like I, I really like revamped my website last year to make it more like sales oriented to sell my services and like try to optimize it so that people could find me. So that even if like, even if I'm at capacity with the clients that I have, I know that I have like this whole list in my back pocket of people who are interested in my services that I can like reach out to if things don't go well with my current clients. Um, and like a lot of freelancers that I know actually will like book people on for the future. So they'll say like, I'm at capacity now, but why don't you pay me a deposit and we can start working together like in three months when I have more time. And that's a really good way to like, keep things in the pipeline and, and know your income because like the stability of your income is kind of like one of the hardest things about being a freelancer is not knowing when the, or like where those paychecks are going to come from. So like constantly having people in the pipeline is I think is essential and it's really hard to find that balance. Like I still have not mastered finding the balance of like actually doing the client work and continuing to prospect but it's, I've gotten better at it, but it's still, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to do those things. Cause like you said, it is like running a business. Like you don't want to run out of clients, then you're not going to be making any money that month. And yeah, so it's, it's definitely a balance and um, it just takes a lot of practice, I think, to really be able to find that sweet spot. Yeah. And I, I love that it, the word that's coming up for me is like proactive, not just waiting until, oh crap, I need a new client, which some people do. Like I remember on one of our other Wi-Fi programs, um, we had someone join and he was like, I was like, what's, what's your plan if you don't come on Wi-Fi? He's like, I don't know, reach out to every person that I've ever kind of worked with and see if they'll hire me. And I was like, okay, that approach is like, seems very stressful. Um, so yeah. it's about being proactive with, with building that network. Um, a few things that, um, a few things, kind of going back a bit, when you talked about reaching out to clients and that idea to some people can feel overwhelming because there's like a lot of stuff online. Like where do you even start being like, okay, you know, cause you, you're searching online, you find a client, you reach out to them. How do you even begin that process without getting extremely overwhelmed of like, oh my goodness, there's like, who do I reach out to? Like, there's just so many people. So how do you yourself manage that? Yeah, totally. And so that, I, that was a totally foreign process to me also. And I think, I think it was on Wi-Fi actually, one of the exercises we did was like to list out all the companies you admire or like who would be your dream job, who would be your dream clients. And yeah, for me, it was essentially just like going through and making a list of companies that I really liked, publications, websites that were like my dream clients to work with. And like at first my mindset was there's no way I would ever pitch these companies like their way, like I'm like not good enough or not skilled enough or like I don't have enough experience to work with them. And like you guys really encouraged me to like just email them, just do it. Like you have nothing to lose. The worst thing, the worst thing they can say is no. And so yeah, like my first, my first few emails that I sent, it was terrifying. Like the idea of sending a cold email to a CEO of like this massive company that I really admired was just like, so outside of my realm of comfort. It was like now thinking back on it, like it's hilarious because like they're just people and most of the time they don't even respond. No, like rarely do people respond with hostility. They either just ignore you completely or respond positively in my experience. Um, 
so yeah, so coming up with like those lists of companies, another thing that I would do is based on that list, I would break them down into industries and then I would Google competitors of those companies. So whenever I was pitching one company, I was always also pitching like 10 of their competitors, which made it a lot easier to write the email pitches because I was doing, I was doing a lot of specific research on the industries to try and like provide them with stats and relevant information to their industry. So being able to send out 10 emails using the same research information is way easier than like crafting 10 super specific emails. Um, so yeah, I would, I would break them down into industry, uh, Google their competitors. I also like, once I started doing it, I kind of just like had an eye for like recognizing brands and like I, I always had my finger on the pulse reading like new tech news, like who were the latest startups that were coming up, like what industries were booming, things like that. Um, so just doing a lot of research to figure out like what kind of companies I could reach out to. Yeah, so I would also browse uh, freelance job boards a lot. But uh, one thing that you taught me during Wi-Fi and like one thing that kept coming up a lot is not to take the traditional application process like you would for like applying to a job. So I would, if I saw that a company was hiring for a freelancer on a job board, um, I would just trace it back to the source. Like I would go to their website and I would still take that approach of like writing a cold pitch and sending it to someone like one of their executives or a higher level person uh, rather than just like filling out the job application. And I feel like Sometimes that worked. Other times I feel like they might have gotten a little bit irritated because I wasn't following their processes and like they have processes in place. But um, you just have to stand out any way that you can is what I found. And like it worked a lot of the time and a lot of times it was easier for them and they appreciated it because they weren't having to like sift through all the applications. They knew that, hey, this person like actually cares and is putting in more effort than someone who's just filling out this application. They're outside of the box thinkers, et cetera. So like a lot of times that works in your advantage for companies that can really like see the work that you're putting in. Amazing, I love that. And just to give a bit more context to everybody, um, like what we are sharing on Wi-Fi is, you know, you can apply to a bunch of jobs, but it's really like adding value and, and yeah, standing out just like you explained. Um, that being said, I think a fear, you know, you talked about initially reaching out to people and how scary that was. And at the end of the day, the reality is, is just statistically, you're going to have a large percentage that, that don't apply don't respond and then it's going to require a bunch of follow-ups and then eventually you know you get a certain percent that respond and then a certain percent that become clients and I think when people dive into freelancing they get very intimidated because they send out a bunch of cold pitches and don't hear back um, when the reality is is just statistically like that's how it works right? like you shouldn't expect to hear back from a certain percent you will hear back from a certain percent can you speak to that a bit and maybe like you know, what your process is in terms of like, are you following up? Are you like, you know, okay now, like knowing, okay, I know I'm not going to hear back from, you know, X amount and like how you're approaching that. Yeah, totally. So yeah, following up is like crucial. It's, it's pretty much like if you don't follow up, you might as well not even send the first email because it's super rare that someone responds on the first go, especially if it's cold and if they don't know you. So I, 
I kind of set like an arbitrary rule for myself where I'll follow up three times. If they don't respond at all, um, then I'll stop. Like, but I know people that will like keep following up until the person says, hey, stop emailing me. That just never made me feel comfortable. So it's like, I'll follow up up to three times. And if I don't hear a single word from them, then like it's, I, I move on or I maybe like move them to the end of the list and check back in a few months or something. Um, and if people do respond, like just because someone responds one time, that doesn't necessarily mean that like anything is going to come of it just because people are busy and a lot of times like you're not their top priority. So a lot of times I'll hear back from a person saying I'm interested and I'll send them stuff and then like they never respond to me and with those people I follow up a bit more aggressively just because they've already shown interest. So I'll keep following up a few times and a lot of times they appreciate it because like I said, like they're super busy, you're not top of mind, like freelance freelancers are not like really high up on their priority list. So you have to kind of like keep like reminding them of you, of your presence. Um, and yeah, so, so following, following up is, is like a game changer. If you don't follow up, like I said, you might as well not even send that very first email. Yeah. And when I, so also when I send out emails, I try to have a very clear call to action, which for me is pretty much always, Hey, let's hop on a call. Like, when are you free to get on a phone call? Um, because I feel like, uh, phone calls just have a higher rate of like actually making the sale or actually like closing the client just cause it's, it's really difficult to like convey personality and stuff via email. So for me, getting on a call, it like almost always guarantees that it will move forward or like it'll end right there. And it's kind of, it's less of like having that gray area of like, where do we stand? Things like that. So um, at the end of all of my emails, I try to have a very clear call to action. That's like, when are you, I try not to even say, when are you free to get on a call? I try to either send them my link, like my link to my calendar saying like, book a time when you're free or like suggesting times so that they, it's easier for them. So I always try to make it as easy for them as possible so they can say, yes, I'm free at this time, let's do it, rather than like making them have to check their calendars or like jump through hoops to talk to me. So having that like very clear call to action at the end of emails is yeah. also, I think, super important. Yeah, I love that. I love that you've just touched on, you know, throughout this whole call is really the shift from the nine to five to freelance is really, it doesn't become about you anymore. It becomes about them and just making it as easy as and simple as pro easy and <laughs> as simple as possible. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to share in terms of freelancing? Like we talked a lot about, you know, reaching out to clients, making it about them, getting on that call, making sure that you lead that conversation. Um, is there any, you know, niching down and all of that, is there anything else, um, that you want to share with somebody knowing that a lot of people listening right now are in that nine to five, they want to get started, say with freelancing, um, you know, whether it's the first steps they should take or any tips and advice that you have so that they can get like the most, um, return from, from freelancing. Yeah, totally. So something else that I will add is to really know your worth and like, like just bask in it and like really be firm in like who you are and what you're worth and don't allow yourself to be bullied by clients. Um, 
this is just like speaking from experience, when you're first starting out, it can be really easy to come off as really desperate and like lower your rates just to get those first few clients in the door. And like some people will say, you know, do work for free just so you can have those things, but you never have to do work for free. Like there's always people that will pay you what you're worth. And it's really a matter of like how you sell yourself and conveying that value. And also if someone isn't a good fit, it's okay that they're not a good fit. Like you can say, no, I'm sorry, this isn't a good fit. Like your budget is just way too low for me. And that's fine. Like you don't have to take on work that is like wasting your time and, and not making you any money, especially as a freelancer. It's like your time is so valuable and you are, I mean, you're literally exchanging your time for money. So it's like the less time that you can spend doing things, like the more time you have to pursue other clients to like, yeah. And, and so like really just understand what you're worth and, and you don't have to, like, you can be in control of how much you make. And I mean, I know if like, I've been in like Facebook groups and I've been in masterminds where there's freelancers making like six figures a year and it's, it's not as difficult as it sounds, but you have to be unwavering in like, in understanding your value and, and not letting people take advantage of you. Cause especially nowadays, it's like, I feel like companies kind of take advantage of freelancers quite a bit because they don't really see them as like real employees. And so it's easy for them to try and like nickel and dime you or try to get more work out of you than what you originally signed on for. But if you can set those boundaries and like really stand by them, then it'll like save you so much headache long-term. Oh yeah. And it just gets you respect too. Like when I worked in advertising years ago before working remote, we had the same thing where we would have freelancers that were very like, no, this is how it is. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, it kind of like sucks because you're like, okay, you're making my life more complicated, but you had more respect for them because they're like, no, this is how it works. And they respected their, their, what they were bringing to the table. And they're like, this is how it works. Um, on that note with value too. So like charging your worth. Um, I think another point that I'll just mention briefly is also considering that when you're a freelancer, you have additional expenses. So for example, you know, there's no like paid time off, um, like for vacation days, there's no, um, you know, the time that you're spending trying to, you know, bring on new clients. Like those are all things that you need to consider. Like you're paying for your laptop, all your equipment. So, I mean, when I started years ago doing freelancing, I was like, oh, I'll just charge whatever my hourly rate would have been, right? And the reality is, is that you have all these additional expenses. I think, again, what you were saying with the masterminds, how people are charging like an insane amount for freelancing, I think that again comes back to value, right? Because instead of saying, oh, I charge like $100 per hour, which a client would be like, whoa, when you say, look, I can do this for you, add this value and make you like, a grand, then $100 an hour doesn't seem like a big deal because you're focusing on the value and the outcome versus this is how much I charge per hour. So I think that's a good takeaway as well. Um, exactly. And you talked about selling yourself on these calls. What tips do you have? That's, it can be very intimidating for people. Like the idea, they finally get someone on a call, they're super excited, and then they're thinking, okay, what do I even do on this call? What tips do you have for people in terms of like selling yourself on a call? Yeah, totally. Um, so calls used to like scare the shit out of me. Like I would be shaking and nervous before every call. And it's like, I still have those moments, but being prepared for the call is probably 
is probably the most important thing that I would recommend is, so like do your research ahead of time, do your research on the company that you're talking to, like learn everything that you can about them and come ready with like a plan of action. Um, like I said, like when I first started doing calls, I would expect the clients to come ready to interview me and ask me about my skills and stuff, but that was never the case. Like, and, and another thing to keep in mind is that they have very limited time too. So the faster that you, the quicker that you can convey to them, like what the value is that you're going to bring to their company, um, the easier the call is going to go. And they're really going to appreciate that you've come to the call like having done your homework so I always come to the call like having I've, I've done all my research I've read about the company a lot I know what their strengths and weaknesses are and I can like come with a very confident plan of like if we do these things then these are the results you're gonna see and um, and yeah and they they usually really appreciate that because they pretty much have to do no work and I'm on the call telling them that if they hire me we're gonna be partners and we're going to achieve these results and it's going to be a great thing. And, um, that, yeah, that's probably the best advice I can get for getting on calls. Also doing practice calls. So when I, like before I was doing it, I had a friend, um, that I met online actually in like a freelancer Facebook group. And she was just like, Hey, do you want to do like fake calls with clients? And that was really great practice. So we would like role play where I would be a client and she would be the freelancer and vice versa. And then we would give each other feedback. And that was a really great way to um, just practice and get more comfortable talking to someone on the phone. So I would recommend doing that. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, if you have a huge fear, like getting started, even just saying, okay, these first five calls that I'm going to have with potential clients, I don't care if I close them. That's not the goal. The goal is to just practice and just like, even just eliminating that pressure where you have to close can just make it easier to show up. And like you said, I think it really comes down to practice. The only way to really get comfortable with it is to do it. And it feels very uncomfortable at first. Um, and like you said, you can mitigate that a bit by practicing with a friend, can give you feedback of like what's clear, what's not clear. Um, yeah. And it's always okay to say, I don't have the answer right now, but I will get back to you on that. And I feel like that was a thing that I was really afraid of at first was not having answers to questions that they gave me. And I would always end up being really flustered, like, oh, I don't know. But it's like, just stay calm. And it's okay to say, that's a really great question. Um, I'll look into that and get back to you with the response. And then you have time to like collect your thoughts and to actually give them a more valuable response than just telling them that you don't know over the phone. I love that. And I think that is like a very huge, important point. Um, even back again in my days of advertising, we are always told, you know, if the client asks something, it's better to be like, look, I don't know, but I'm going to find the answer. And it almost makes you seem like look better because you're not like this person, like, oh, I know it all. And you're, you're just showing, you're demonstrating the ability, like, okay, I don't have the answer for you now. I'm going to find it for you. And I'm going to get you the right answer instead of trying to just like come up with something. Yeah. Amazing. And before we wrap up, so you know, we've talked a lot about freelancing and I appreciate you sharing all the insight. I think it's been very valuable and practical. I think a lot of people can keep all of this stuff in mind as they pursue freelancing. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the lifestyle and making the shift, what advice do you have for people? Like we've talked a lot about the practical aspect of freelancing. Is there anything that you want to be sure to share in terms of this lifestyle, this nomadic lifestyle of, you know, any tips or like what to expect or anything that you've learned um, since you've got started? 
Yeah, sure. So I guess my biggest takeaway was like I always had this perception of once I quit my job, once I start freelancing and become a digital nomad, then like I've made it, like I've achieved my goals and life is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. But that's like could not be more opposite of the reality. And it's like putting yourself in such a new and uncomfortable situation, like is really scary, but it also inspires a lot of growth, which is great. And something that I've learned is that like, you can't stop growing. Like you can't stop pursuing new things and new ideas. And like, just because you achieved one goal, like that doesn't mean that you can stop like dreaming big and, and like trying to do new things. So for me, like freelancing was my goal or being able to sustain myself as a digital nomad was my goal. And like, now I'm doing that. And like earlier this year, I found myself in like a funk of like, okay, well, I don't even know what to do next now. And it's like, I don't want to be stuck doing this forever. And so it's like constantly like pushing yourself to try new things and to like continue to grow on bigger because freelancing is cool, but like I've never heard of a freelancer who's like, I want to freelance for the rest of my life. Like it's very volatile and it's pretty stressful at times. And so it's great for the time being. But like I know for me personally, like I want to set bigger goals for myself. And I kind of forgot to set those other goals once I had achieved this goal of like being being able to travel and work and so that's another thing to keep in mind is like like keep like it's okay to celebrate these small wins or even like the big wins like I mean moving and becoming a digital nomad is a huge win um but that's not an excuse to like stagnate or to get comfortable in this lifestyle like you should continue to push yourself and and grow in new ways and so that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from actually having been doing this for like about a year now is like to like dive into personal growth, like learn new things and continue to push yourself so that you can like achieve bigger things and continue to achieve bigger goals that you want to accomplish. That's amazing. I love that. And even before our call, we were talking about how there's not really this end point because every time you reach that end point, there's like more growth, right? And so it's just this constant journey of growing and evolving. Um, I think that's a really great point. I think everyone thinks that everything's going to be perfect when I hit this goal. Um, and then it's like, okay, what's next? And I think that's why a lot of nomads, you know, similar to your journey, it's like, okay, at first they just want that job and flexibility. And then once they get that, they're like, oh, okay, what's next? And then some of them dive into starting businesses, or maybe it's like personal growth journeys or whatever it may be, but there's always like more growth to be had. Amazing. And um, Sarah, how can everybody find you online and just like follow along on your journey and your travels and everything like that? Totally. Yeah. So, um, my website is sarahabelhassan.com. Um, that's pretty much just like a housing place for all of my services and stuff. Um, I recently have become a bit more active on Instagram. I'm at what Sarah likes on Instagram and at underscore what Sarah likes on Twitter and I also publish on Medium. So I've been trying to publish on Medium every week. So um, I'd really love if people were interested in following along and, and reading what I have to say on Medium. Um, and yeah, if anyone has questions or anything, I would love to, to talk more with people or answer any other questions that people have about freelancing or about this whole journey. Amazing. And yes, definitely check out her posts on Medium. I always follow along on your posts on Medium. Love them. I think... <laughs> Um, what, I, what I love and appreciate is that it's very, um, you're very honest 
and real about your whole journey, all the like ups and downs and just really share your life lessons as you're going through them. And I think that's really powerful. It's not just like, oh, do this, do this. You're like you're re- You really share like the raw, real journey of everything that you've gone through. So definitely go follow. Yeah. I'll be sure to link to everything below as well so everyone can go follow along. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. This has been very helpful. I think a lot of people are going to get not only the inspiration from your journey, but a lot of like practical aspects in terms of if they want to get started with freelancing. Um, So thank you so much for being here. And again, I'll link to everything below so everyone can follow your journey, get in touch and all that stuff. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast, showing you how to successfully go remote. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. And if you haven't already, head over to wifinomads.com. That's W-I-F-L-Y nomads, N-O-M-A-D-S.com, where you can learn more about how you can get started working remotely from anywhere in the world by joining one of our upcoming programs. Remember, spots are limited, so be sure to apply soon. Until next time, everyone, safe travels.